0: Knowing what you want to do, knowing what you were destined for, knowing what is deep inside of you, what you connect to, is the single most important thing in in your whole life.
1: This is a time where you kind of should sit down and just reevaluate your whole life since we don't have those years that we can take back anymore. That's right. (laughs) It's Violet Benson, your favorite meme queen in the big sit you didn't ask for, but need. welcome to Almost Adulting. Almost adulting. Almost adulting. Are you ready? Hey, besties, and welcome to the top mental health podcast, Almost Adulting, with me, your best friend, your host, (laughs) and your big sister, Violet. Benson. Today's guests have actually been obsessed with him for quite some time. He is so insightful, so intelligent, so smart, and that is why I had to do a two-part episode with him. His name is Robert Green. He's written some of the top books out there, New York Times bestseller books. One of my favorite books by him is 48 Laws of Power. It's brilliant. He's brilliant. Yeah, I'm so excited for this interview. You guys are going to love this episode and part two will be next week but first before we get started i know the holidays are coming up and they're not amazing for everyone many of us either don't celebrate the holidays or we don't have family to celebrate with and as much as it brings joy for a lot of us a lot of us it brings sadness so if you're listening right now i just want you to know you're not alone I love you and you'll get through this. To kind of lift up your mood, I kind of created a list of some gifts that you can get for your loved one this holiday season that they'll never forget. Okay, so take a pen and paper and write this down because I really think that will be one memorable Christmas for them for the rest of their lives. You're welcome. Okay, so here are some gifts you can get them. Number one, herpes. So they'll always have a part of you with them. Uh, Number two, a vacation with my dad. Just email me. He will make sure to wake you up every day at 5 a.m. Screaming at you with a list of things to do for the next eight hours. Uh, Number three, a batch of condoms, but with holes in them. Because uh, nothing says gotcha, (laughs) like 18 years of child support. Number four, a matching tattoo because... That says forever. Number five, an unwanted pregnancy. If you're looking to save your relationship, because I think kids in the mix always help make things better. The next one, I already forgot what number I'm on a stuffed animal, but with a camera inside of it. So, you can always hear everything they're thinking and everything they talk about so you can learn everything about them to be a better partner. They'll thank you later, trust me. Um, And the last one, if you're trying to take your relationship to the next level, start stealing things from their house. Nothing major, nothing big, just little things that... Wouldn't make sense for anyone to steal like batteries from the remote control or a whole remote control, their toothbrush, a glass of water, just little things that will make them go crazy. And eventually they'll come to you and they'll say, hey, I don't feel safe in my house anymore. I feel like I'm going crazy. And that's where you'll come and sweep them off their feet and save them by saying, hey, move in with me. There you go. Now you've given them the best gift ever of living together. Happy holidays. I hope this helps make it the most memorable Christmas you'll ever have or holiday. You're welcome. Anyway, guys, enjoy today's episode. Don't forget that I love you. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast, Almost Adulting, and make sure to download today's episode. Love ya. Mwah. Hi, besties. I'm Viola and Welcome to a brand new episode of Almost Adulting. So we are continuing Mentor Month with a legend. Everyone, please give a warm welcome to Robert Greene. Robert Greene is a New York Times bestseller for books about strategy, power, and seduction. Robert has written six international bestsellers, including the famous 40 Laws of Power, which I own, and The Art of Seduction. (laughs) Um, Robert, I'm honored to have you with us today, and I'm very excited to learn from you today, and hopefully my listeners can as well. Well, thank you very
0: much for having me. My pleasure.
1: Of course. Okay. So before we get started and we dive into the tools and strategy that anyone needs to take over the world, um, I kind of want to talk to you about what made you so interested in strategy and power.
0: I was working in Hollywood prior to writing the 48 Laws of Power. I was in my mid-30s or so. hadn't really had much success in life. I was kind of I was not really um, suited for Hollywood, let's put it that way. I was trying to be a screenwriter. I was very frustrated and quite depressed. We're talking about the mid-90s. There was things about the world that kind of um, angered me, to be honest with you. One was like the hypocrisy in Hollywood. And i had had many different jobs besides working in Hollywood, particularly the film business. People were presented this exterior of being so politically correct so liberal, so wonderful. It was all about the art, and it was just such bullshit to me because it was all about power. They were just obsessed with power. And behind closed doors, the stuff that nobody ever sees with film directors, actors, and writers, they could be actually quite manipulative, quite nasty. So I wanted to write a book about that, what I had seen on my experiences. not being personal because I don't like personal books. I want to sort of disguise my anger in writing a book about power, and I wanted to expose the strategies that people use generally, but that nobody ever talks about, because a lot of self-help books, in my opinion, are very mushy. They're all so positive about how wonderful people are. We all need to cooperate. You need to be a great manager, blah, 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 blah. Well, Literally,
1: my, my me currently writing my book is all about positivity, okay. <laughs> but I completely agree
0: with you. Yeah. Well, positivity <laughs> has its place, you know. <laughs> I wish it weren't this way. I wish we were all angels, but we're not. Yeah. And it's not everyone. Most people are good and decent. It's just those few percent that kind of mess up the whole game for everyone else. There's not a book out there that sort of described the the strategies and the games that people actually play in the work world. And it, it pissed me off. It you know I was like, why are people discussing this? We go into detail about our sex lives, about the dirtiest little secrets, but nobody wants to talk about power and what really goes on. So that was sort of the impetus behind writing the Forty Eight Laws.
1: No, it makes sense. I mean, I think I think there's a lot of different thoughts and opinions when it comes to that book, and I've read different types of reviews. Some people are appalled by how can anyone even say things like that. But I think at the end of the day, you are correct. This does happen behind closed doors. And it is interesting. It was more you writing about what you saw happening versus you saying, this is based on my experience and how I've achieved taking over the world. I made a list of my favorite ones that I thought could help other people. But there were certain parts that I was just like, oh, that's interesting. I'm gonna keep that to myself for myself later, but I won't say it on my show because it may make me look bad, even though secretly a lot of people think this way. Okay. So my producer and everyone were talking about you. She was very curious to know what you were like as a child. If you had <laughs> these types of emotions or thoughts or feelings when you were younger, but I feel like in a way you kind of explained where you came from when you wrote this book.
0: You'd have to ask my mother and my sister, my father passed away. Um, I was uh, sort of a quiet, I'm a bit of an introspective person. And my whole thing was, uh, observing people. That's kind of how writers generally are. Um, because I wasn't going to get power in this world by being aggressive, by being a bully, by pushing people around. It's just not my nature actually, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. I'm more, I'm more shy I'm more introspective. So my power would come in this world by observing people so intensely that I would figure out all of their secrets. And they couldn't hurt me or they couldn't manipulate me. So from a very early age, I was just very staying in the background, observing people very closely and watching them and kind of, you know, accumulating knowledge year by year by year by year. And, you know, I had a very nice childhood. I grew up in Los Angeles. And I had lots of friends, and and it wasn't that I was alone alone or anything like that. Essentially, you know, I was just someone that feels like people aren't necessarily honest. They don't really reveal who they are, you know, in day-to-day life. And you never really know who they are. They wear a mask. And I was always sort of interested in what lies behind the mask.
1: I like that a lot especially because people do tend to think if you're the loudest in the room that that gives you the most power when in reality it's a lot of the time you're the dumbest in the room Mm -hmm. if you constantly have to be so loud to get the garnish attention and i do like that you figured out what your power was so you knew if you can't be the loudest one that you can observe people and figure out their secrets you can Mm -hmm. use it against them one of your laws in the book It talks about never say too much because it's one of the tactics. If you're trying to get someone to confess something or anything like that, if you ask them a question you just don't say anything, they're going to keep revealing stuff or talking.
0: Right. The more you talk, the more liable you are to say something stupid, something that you regret, right? That's
1: one of his 48 laws. Yes, it (laughs) is.
0: And um, I did a book later on with 50 Cent called The 50th Law. And I spent six, seven months with 50 observing him and all of his different business ventures and his music. And I noticed, I watched him in meetings very carefully because he's, he's a very powerful, charismatic figure. He hardly ever talks. Right? He sits in a meeting, he lets everybody else talk, and when you look, and I look around the room, all eyes are on him, but he's not saying a word. Because people are, are looking at the person who's not talking. It kind of connotes authority and power, wow. right? And I noticed that in other instances, you know, with, with people working in Hollywood or pauses, et cetera, the ones who talk the most are often the most insecure, right? They're trying to cover up the fact that they're not feeling so good about themselves by just talking and talking and talking and covering it up with lots of words. And being able to be quiet reveals that you can control yourself. You have self-mastery. And it already indicates something powerful. Whereas the fact that you can't control what you say, that you just have to talk, 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 means that there are other things that you can't control, like your emotions, et cetera, et cetera. I don't say there's anything wrong with that, but when it comes to power and how we perceive people in authority, that is what I think you know, kind of connotes or signifies somebody who's in control and has a kind of self-mastery is that they're able to control what they say.
1: I take all the knowledge in because it's so fascinating to me. I'm so fascinated with the human behavior and understanding it. Because growing up, I always would offend people or can't read the room where I just didn't understand people's emotions because I think more logically. So because of that struggle, I started studying human behavior okay. to kind of better understand people. So all this stuff is just food for my brain. I love hearing it. Would you say the 48 laws of power in a way is kind of people deem it as manipulation tactics or you're 100% saying, yeah, it is exactly what that is?
0: You know, when people say that they're being manipulative themselves, they want to classify the book as evil or bad or amoral. I don't do any of those things. Those things are all what people in power do. It's all evil. And I'm saying, no, that's not true. First of all, maybe one third of the laws in the 48, I mean 16 to be the number I counted once are kind of about manipulation. The others are about common sense things. So always say less than necessary is not manipulative, right? Right. It's just keeping you out of trouble or law number one, never outshine the master where you never try too hard when you first enter a work world. So you make everybody else feel like you're insecure, like you're after their job, like you're too ambitious to kind of mute your colors and feel your way into an environment and not try too hard to impress because you're going to make others feel insecure, like you're after their job. That's not manipulative. That's just common sense. I could go on and on and on and on. A lot of them have to do with kind of seductive tactics about how to please people, how to make them like you more, how to have more influence in the world. I have one of the laws about always appeal, work on the hearts and minds of people. I have another one about being generous with your money and your attention. Don't never um, despise the free lunch. These are not manipulative. So for people to say it's a handbook for manipulation is a manipulative tactic on their part because they haven't read the book. I'm not necessarily telling you you have to go out there and sell your soul and become an evil person. Right. I'm telling you, you need to protect yourself. Because when I entered the work world, I was quite naive. And I suffered a lot. I, I violated a lot of the very laws that I later wrote about, right? And it caused me a lot of pain and a lot of drama. And it wasted a lot of my energy and, and my, my creative energy. So knowing law number seven, um, always get other people to do the work but take the credit, which is, that is a manipulative law. I don't deny <laughs> that. It's more about, and I say it in the law, beware that other people are going to do that to you They're gonna steal your work, so don't be naive. So a lot of the manipulative laws are trying to open your eyes to what other people might be doing to you. There's something magical about unboxing. When you unbox BritBox, you uncover a world of British entertainment. Stream the UK's most brilliant series, including new and upcoming seasons of Shetland, Father Brown and Death in Paradise. Plus new originals like Payback, Irving Welsh's Crime, and Archie. The story of Hollywood's greatest leading man, Carrie Grant. Unbox BritBox and escape to the best of British TV. Stream with a free trial at Britbox.com.
1: Welding instructor Alex Declare knows VR training platforms like Forge FX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Well, I think a lot of them take with a grain of salt. I mean, here's one that a lot of people in entertainment use. And a lot of the same people will look at your book and make me comment that it's um, manipulation when in reality it's literally something they do, which is number 27 play on people's need to believe to create a cult-like following. So when people start calling, um, we're community, we're together in this, it is creating on purpose a cult-like following. So they're literally following number 27 by pretending to only do good when in reality it's to benefit them.
0: Right, right.
1: This book for me personally was really eye-opening. Oh, good. And there are certain things that I've always used um, here. Always say less than necessary, that's number four. A hundred percent, I struggle with that. Sometimes I say too much, and I always regret it. Well, we
0: all do. You know, nobody's perfect at that, and sometimes I regret things that I say. But just being aware of that is the most important thing.
1: Went through actions, never through argument. That's number nine, 100%. I think you always lose when you let emotions come in the way. When you're emotional, you speak, and you say things that you regret, and you show all your cards. So I think sometimes for me, I've noticed the way I went arguments it's by just doing nothing yeah so that's been helpful for me okay number 10 avoid the unhappy and unlucky yeah. which is all about avoid surrounding yourself with negative people or there's those people in your life that just something always bad happens to them you don't want that energy because it's going to come on you as well
0: the point about that luck is some people think that's law is very evil and i didn't <laughs> intend it to be evil there are people in this world who suffer who have who are unfortunate and they deserve all of our empathy right right But there are other people who create all of the negative energy around them, and they don't deserve our our sympathy. They learned as children that the more drama they stir up around them, the more they get people irritated, angry, upset, emotional, the more power they have, and they use that throughout their life. And because they're like this, because they're kind of drama queens or drama kings, a lot of people are attracted to them because it seems kind of interesting when you first meet someone like that. Wow, they're so larger than life. They're so interesting. They, you know, they're, they're always out there. They're very, you know, expressive with their emotions. And then you get in a relationship with them. And then you find that, they've, that they're just complaining all the time. They're yeah. always the victim. And they just, the negative energy starts swirling and swirling. And they get their hooks into you. And you, you try to disengage. And you can't because you, you either you fall in love with them or they're your friend and they have all this power over you. And the longer that relationship goes on, the more you're infected with their bad energy. That's what the law is really about.
1: Yes, 100%. And even when you remove them from your life, that energy is still there for a while because you are who you're surrounded by. But my dad taught me when I was younger the law of five, which basically means, um, it's because I was on the phone from one of my friends. And I don't know what she said. She was like, I love you. I'll die for you because we're so young, man. I'm like, I love you too. Bye. My dad's like, "Violetta, she will not die for you. She, <laughs> and I was like, dad, I know it's just a saying. Violeta, she does not love you. She will not die for you. Remember that. Because he was, because he always thought it was too kind as I was growing up. And he was scared that people were always going to walk all over, which they did. So he was trying to protect me by teaching me that in your heart, Some research shows that you only are able to love five people the most, like real love. And he said that has to be your parents, your grandparents, and then your siblings. (laughs) And then your grandparents pass away, so it's your partner. And then your parents pass away, so it's your children. So it's only five and never more. And so all these other people, they say they love you, they're going to screw you over eventually. Yeah, and one thing my mom taught me is that I never talk badly to my friends about my other friends, only to my mother. Because my mother taught me that these people, no matter how much they're my friends, one day they'll use it against me. Sure,
0: definitely. <laughs> and also you can be sure that if somebody, a friend of yours, is talking crap or shit about someone else, that they're going to be doing that about you at some point,
1: yes. right? And every, and it's like, it's the most simple things. And yet, every time it happens to us, then we're always surprised by the outcome. At least I am. I still am <laughs> every time. I'm surprised. So um, let's see. Number 18, I really loved. Uh, Do not build fortress to protect yourself. Isolation is dangerous. That's just just a law in general of life because that's something I'm very bad at. I sometimes isolate myself in this house for a whole week or even two weeks on my own.
0: Well, it's a nice place to isolate. <laughs> You're going to isolate yourself better here, you know.
1: But he said, isolating yourself from the world will deny you access to valuable information.
0: No, no, it's, yeah.
1: And it makes you vulnerable to enemy attacks. Yeah. I love that. Um, Number 19, know who you're dealing with. Don't offend the wrong person. Very true.
0: My last book called The Laws of Human Nature, I talk about how oftentimes when people present a particular front or exterior, they're trying to disguise the opposite. So a classic example will be the very macho man who's so domineering and so bullying, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, has to dominate every situation. He's actually a frightened little boy deep inside. He's got lots of insecurities and weaknesses. Somebody who's really strong, and, you know, real kind of masculine virtue doesn't have to push people around, doesn't have to humiliate them, doesn't have to bully them, doesn't have to yell and argue and make people feel bad. It's a sign of the opposite, right? So oftentimes people who are so smiling and pleasant and ingratiating and loving, they're actually hiding a lot of envy and a lot of, negative, a lot of negative energy, right? But this is their way to protect themselves. They don't want to get hurt. So they're trying to be so pleasant, but they're fuming with lots of negative energy underneath and you don't see that because you only see them being so nice to you. And then suddenly, you say or do something that kind of scrapes just a little bit their insecurities and whoa, you pay such a deep price for it. You see a side of them that they never showed before and you, you've made an enemy for the rest of your life. So behind a lot of the laws are, and this is important for people, don't always trust appearances, right? Doesn't I mean you have to go through a life paranoid. I mean, I love your father's law of five, and he's great, he's very wise.
1: He's paranoid.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit paranoid. But I'm not telling you don't be paranoid, and, and you have friends and you have partners, etc. But just understand that appearances can be very deceptive. People wear a front. It doesn't really who they are. And so don't necessarily take their smiles and their loving qualities as the reality, because they might be disguising something else.
1: I agree with that. And that's still a lesson that I'm definitely learning for sure. I agree. Um, another one that I really liked was number 34, act like a king and be, to be treated like one. And that's something that goes not just in business, but I always say in relationships, I gave this advice the other day on my Spotify show that when someone goes, I I only day guys who treat me like shit. And I say, okay, well, A, that's a pattern that you're repeating. But aside from that, if you want people to treat you with respect, you have to treat yourself with respect. So the same thing, if you want people to treat you like a queen, you have to act like a queen. And that's why I love this one because it's in everything. If you want to if you want to be a leader, then you, you say you have to act like one. Yeah. And I think that's where it comes. Number 28, interaction with boldness. People admire the bold and hate the timid. That's interesting you're saying that, as you said, they're very timid.
0: Well... You know, you learn, I, I say in that law that most people who are bold aren't necessarily born that way. And I talk about like Napoleon Bonaparte, he's kind of an icon of boldness and sort of somebody I'm very interested in. But he wasn't born that way. He was short, he was picked on, everyone made fun of his accent, he was bullied a lot, right? And he sort of learned that in life, you have to overcome that you have to pre- present the fact that you're bold and you can stand up for yourself. Because humans have a side to them, we have an animal side to us, right? And we think that everything is about words, but everything isn't about words. It's about nonverbal communication. We pick up signals. I pick up signals for me that have nothing to do with what you say, that's to do with your body language, your eyes, the way you look, the way you sit, et cetera. And if somebody signals that they're kind of weak, then we pick that up and we treat them that way. If you don't have respect for yourself, no one else will have respect for yourself. So, you know, I learned in life that I've, if people see me as shy and timid, they're gonna pick on me, they're gonna abuse me, they're gonna exploit me. So I have to learn to present a different exterior. Now, as in my ripe old age, you know, I'm in my 60s, um, I don't have to worry about that anymore, right? Because I've got power through my books. But in the work world, as I was rising up in my 20s and 30s, et cetera, I learned that i had to not present this timid image i had to present something much more forceful and i learned that through experience
1: i think that's awesome and i love what you said also about body language Nonverbal communication is the way that people communicate i think uh, even if you present yourself as bold and a leader and aggressive one thing i've noticed sometimes when i would talk and i'd be very confident when i'm speaking with you I was actually touching, accidentally touching my fingers or moving like that. And I noticed that you look, I don't know if you did that on accident or whatever, but my brain right away, I'm like, Oh no, he's going to notice that I'm some anxiety or something like stop moving your fingers. (laughs) I just, I just pay attention for me. It's not things that offend me as much as something that I can learn from it. Okay,
0: good. That's very good. That's your tough Russian skin.
1: Literally. Yeah.
0: Russians are tough people.
1: Yes. Yeah. My mom's from Belarus. My dad's Ukrainian Whoa. and Russian. Oh, I'm Ukraine. Russian from St. Petersburg. Wow. My sister's married to a whole family of Ukrainians. And then I grew up in Israel, so another oh, really? favorite country, yeah.
0: Yeah, are you Jewish? Yeah. Yeah, so oh, I'm, Rus- I'm Russian too.
1: Oh, you are? From Odessa. Odessa. Oh, wow. look at us.
0: Yeah. Wow. St. Petersburg and Odessa. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The reason my grandma ended up in St. Petersburg was because she was escaping the Nazis, oh, wow. so she went from Odessa, ended up in St. Petersburg, where she where she met her husband, which wow. was my dad's dad.
0: Was she there in St. Leningrad during the siege oh. when the Nazis laid siege to the city, and half the yes. people starved and were eating rats? And
1: I cannot believe. Finally, I meet someone that has an idea of exactly that. Yes, she was there, and she got very sick, and people have no idea how horrible that was. Oh, it
0: was was a nightmare. Yeah, if you read stories of it, it's one of the most gruesome chapters in history. There was cannibalism. Yes. People were eating rats or anything. They they had no – the Nazis encircled the city, and that nothing could get in or out, and there was no food. Yes. It was freezing cold. She was there.
1: She got very sick, but luckily she was still young. So she was able to survive, but yes, they, they surrounded St. Petersburg, the Nazis, before the Holocaust, if anyone doesn't know what he's talking about. How many people died? Like 400,000, 500, I forget, it was such a large-
0: In, in just the sieges of, of Leningrad? I don't know, actually, I don't know off the top of my head. It was hundreds of thousands
1: of people. It was 800 days, and I forget if it was like 400,000, whatever the number was, it was so insane, and yeah. yes, people started eating each other, and people were eating rats because they blocked off anyone being able to enter or exit. So there was no food anymore um, being able entering their town because Hitler wanted to take over St. Petersburg.
0: Yeah. The concentration camps were starting in like the mid 30s. And then they were really, then Hitler signed the final solution. I can't remember what year. So more by the end of the 30s, the concentration camps were in high gear. But during the first like 40, 41, 42 was when the bulk of Jews were exported there, and he invaded uh, Russia, I believe, in 42 or 43.
1: Okay, so towards the end, you're saying?
0: Yeah. It's happening at the same time.
1: After that, she got on some other train, and then she got separated from her family, oh, and she lost them for eight years, and then they ended up finding out they were working in, on some camp, like, two miles away from each wow. other. Wow. Pretty what insane. What a story.
0: You should get to write a book at some point.
1: Okay. <laughs> Well, do you feel as though to be considered powerful and to gain success, you need to use these type of manipulation and power plays?
0: Everything depends on your circumstances. So some, a lot of problem people have in life is they're so literal minded. They read something in the book, they go, I've got to apply exactly what Robert says. And that's why at the end of each law, I have the reverse. I say, don't use this law at all. In fact, here are instances where you should do the exact opposite of it. Because every circumstance in life is different, so maybe you're in an office where everybody is jolly, is is on the same page. There's no kind of um, overly ambitious, power-hungry person among you, and you're all cooperating. Don't use my laws; it's okay. You, you can ignore them. But oftentimes, when you put three people together, politics start happening because people have egos, right? And so. You just have to be aware of the possibility that, for instance, the person above you, that your boss, if you're not the boss, has an ego as well, he or she. They have insecurities, probably perhaps even more than you think, because being a boss makes them very vulnerable, and susceptible. They're always worried to, to people like me, etc., etc. So just be aware that these are things that are going on in life, that people have egos, that appearances can be deceptive, that you can say too much, right? And that you need to be a little bit careful. That's all I'm saying. If you're in a particularly sharky environment, let's say, which would be number one Hollywood, or or probably number one would be the record in business, or Hollywood, or the tech world, or even business in general where things can get quite political, then you're going to want to use some of these laws, yeah, either to get ahead or to protect yourself.
1: Yeah, I I love uh, one of your laws about always play dumber than you are. That is incredibly true. And some no one likes no one likes a perfectionist. No one likes someone who's a smartass and is better than everyone else. So, and whether it's in business or in real life, if you just dumb yourself down a little, it does kind of make people feel better because they feel like oh I'm smarter than this person. They need my help. Right. Oh, another law that you have, if you want something, figure out what you can give them back in return. Brilliant.
0: Yeah. Appeal to people's self-interest.
1: Yeah. There's no manipulation there. It's more, instead of telling someone, you have no idea how much this can help me. It's more like, okay, this is what I need from you. And this is what you'll get back in return by helping me out.
0: Well, if you're like, let's say you're going for a job interview, and this is a mistake a lot of people make. they think. What is important for me is to really impress this other person by telling them how great I am, how many wonderful things I've done, my resume, my experience. And actually, you want to flip the script and you want to think of them instead of yourself. You want to go, you want to do some research and you want to go, what is it they need? What is it that, that, that their problem is? Are they overwhelmed? Is there, are they having problems with time management? Are they not organized so well? Are they dealing with all sorts of other interpersonal problems on the team, et cetera. What can I give him or her that's going to make their life easier as opposed to how great I am? So you think of other people's self-interest, of what they need, of what you can do to help them, and that's the key to having any kind of influence or persuasive powers in life. Because if you think about it, life is kind of harsh and difficult right Mm -hmm. all of us even if we're successful are struggling we never have enough time right we're always kind of overwhelmed particularly nowadays in the era of social media and so to have somebody come to us and say i can help you i can genuinely genuinely give you a skill that you don't have wow i'll do anything for you yeah as opposed to you need to help me because (laughs) i need money i need a job Oh, screw you! I don't. I'm getting somebody else.
1: Yeah, I like that. I definitely think I've used those tactics, and I, when I was trying to get a job as an accountant, and I felt like my school wasn't as prestige as the other people I was competing against. So I. I researched every time people interview me. I researched exactly who was interviewing me and I knew everything about them. So then i would bring in wording of like, I think you learned that in Colombia," and then I'd be like, Oh, what, you yeah. know, what school I went to. And then I remember one of my partners, he was a new partner and I could tell he felt invisible. So I told him I'm looking for a mentor. Oh, and I think.
0: Very smart. This is before it. you heard of my book.
1: Yeah. Well, I think when you come from nothing and you have no connections. And you also know you're not the smartest in the room. You've, you come up with your own tactics of sure. how you can survive in the world or how you can figure out how to get things. How
0: long have you been doing this podcasting?
1: My podcasting I've been doing for two years. My poc- my podcasting is very popular because I've already built a, such a popular brand.
0: Wow, that's great. Wow. Thank you. You sort of changed, changed your whole life through this.
1: Yes, but I think my degrees have been very useful for me, mm-hmm. I would think. I don't know. For someone who is more timid or unsure of themselves, how can they begin to implement some of these strategies to change their overall perception of themselves?
0: Being shy or introspective is not a bad thing, right? Because a lot of intelligent people are like that, right? Um, they, they sit back and they're not the, the loudest in the group, but they're observing, they're learning, So the ability to learn and observe and keep some distance and detachment and look at what's going on is a very, very valuable skill. So the first thing is don't see your timidity as a negative, because that's only going to make you worse. It's only going to make you more insecure. It's only going to make the problem worse for you. See it as a strength, right? Yes. The other thing is, is that you may be born a certain way, You may be born where you're a little bit afraid of people, but that isn't necessarily who you are, right? It doesn't have to define you for your life. You can develop into someone who's more confident and who has more of that persona of, I'm a king, so treat me like a king, right? So I have a chapter in my new book, The Laws of Human Nature, where I talk about attitude and how attitude is everything right? So two people can see the same thing. And one person has a kind of negative attitude and the other person has a more open, expansive attitude. They see things completely differently. And then person with the negative attitude tends to have negative things happen to him or her, right? So this is what your new book is going to be about, or whatever it is. <laughs> yes. Okay. So your attitude, a lot of it was how you were born or can even be genetic. They've, they've Scientists have shown that that introspection or extroversion, introversion or extroversion, there's a genetic component, which means you can't help it. You were born that way. A lot of it is your early parenting, right? And your early experiences as a a child, things you can't really help that made you a certain way that maybe made you more timid than other people, right? But that doesn't have to mean that's your whole life. You can develop a different kind of attitude towards life, towards things. And so, if you start looking at the world differently, if you start seeing things, not worried, not so anxious, not seeing a, a possible problem or danger in every event going on around you, if you can see things with more of a detached eye, well, these are just events happening. It doesn't mean that I failed or that people don't like me. I'm just watching the world I'm observing, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Through that, you can develop an attitude that's slowly more powerful, where you you learn to respect yourself. You learn to think differently about events that are happening to you. So, for instance, these things you have to practice on a day-by-day basis. You're not going to change yourself overnight. You're not going to be someone who's very shy and suddenly a week later turn into somebody who's very powerful and domineering. It takes time. And, and I don't want you to become someone who's domineering. I just want you to be a less timid, less shy and be able to control it a bit better. But a good example is when something bad happens to you, right? That happens to everyone, right? Um, Your first reaction when you're insecure or timid or whatever you want to call it is to blame yourself, right? What did I do that was wrong? Why am I so weak? Why am I such a bad person? Why can't I figure out how to do things right? Stop telling yourself these stories and to go, No, it wasn't necessarily my fault, right? And actually, bad things are good for me. It makes me tougher. It makes me stronger. I can learn from these experiences. So it's all how you look at the world that's going to change it for you. And it's going to help you develop habits where instead of always being on your heels and defensive and worried and retreating, where you can start turning into the opposite, right? Slowly.
1: Yeah, 100% I, I agree with that because a lot of times failure is more of, okay, I need to change my path. Let's navigate. Let's try something else, something new. And I think that's the difference between leaders and people who will stay in the same position the rest of their life, or the people who won't try again once they fail.
0: And one other thing I would just add to that is um, oftentimes when you're timid, you're kind of avoiding social situations. You're shy. You don't wanna put yourself out there and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy where it makes you more and more shy and more and more timid, right? And the way to get over that is to get, is to deliberately expose yourself to more social situations, to force yourself to be more comfortable, you know, in a group, in parties, among friends, etc., or at the office, to socialize more. And then that'll help you develop you'll get over sort of this, this fear that you have of other people. You know, it's it's a skill like anything else. If you want to be good at the piano, you have to practice. If you want to be less shy and be more comfortable around people, you have to expose yourself to more of it. Now, I'm, you're smiling.
1: I'm smiling because I it's brilliant. I completely agree with you. My next question is going to be if you can uh, practice and, and try to um, help with the skill of being less timid. And the reason I'm smiling is because every time you say something, I feel like you're almost describing something that happened to me in my life because I used to be shy in school and to get over being foreign and shy. I, uh, junior or senior year of high school, I started going to parties by myself to force myself to talk Ah, to people. Very good, very smart. So that's, that's how I became more social because before yeah. cuz I also realized everyone is insecure and kind sure. of a loser. Like we're all losers.
0: You believe me, yeah.
1: <laughs> you know. Yeah. And once you I realize in
0: <laughs>
1: Yeah, I'm a loser of course. But once I realized we all are you know, this person's not thinking about me. They're thinking about their dress, their exactly, outfit. Exactly, exactly. So help me kind of become you know, I kind of realize everyone's weaknesses to help me be and sometimes the outgoing one at the party and right. the one talking to everyone. Everyone's like, "Bobby, right. wow, you're so confident. I'm like, no, I'm not. Yeah, yeah. I just realized you're a loser. That's why. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's very wise. It's very well put. Yeah.
1: Thank you. Yeah, so um, it's very validating to me. Some of the things you're saying, knowing that I did that growing up, it validates my experiences. It's nice.
0: Well, you had a very wise father, too, that taught you well.
1: Well, it took us years to get along, but yeah.
0: Oh, okay, okay.
1: <laughs> but he's very wise, I agree. Mm-hmm. With the new year coming up, what would you say are some of the most important strategies one can use to ensure that they start the year off right?
0: Well, I have two books. One is Mastery, which was my fourth book, my fifth book, sorry. And then I have a new book called The Daily Laws which is kind of a compilation, like day-by-day day sort of meditation. Oh,
1: I love that. Um,
0: and in Mastery, I'm, tr- I'm trying to tell you that the whole game of life depends on knowing yourself, on having self-awareness, right? When you're a child, when you're very young, you have a certain kind of knowledge about yourself. You know what you like, you know what you don't like. You're attracted to certain activities, to certain forms, certain intellectual things you you like to you're into dance or sports or you're into mathematics or, or for me it was words and then you lose that as you get older and you start you start listening to what other people tell you you start saying violeta you need to become an accountant mm-hmm. you need to make money in this world yes and then you forget early on what you really loved in life was like interacting with people, observing them and human nature and all that stuff that you're talking about earlier. And then you come to a point where you feel you're 24, 25 in your case. You know, this isn't necessarily suiting me. There's something else I should be doing in life. Knowing what you want to do, knowing what you were destined for, knowing what is deep inside of you, what you connect to, is the single most important thing in, in your whole life. Because in your 20s, if you make a wrong career choice, I'm not saying your career is everything, because maybe family is more important to you. But if you, if work is important to you and you make the wrong career choice, you're headed towards a life of misery. You're never going to feel comfortable. You're always going to feel like you're missing out. Like you could have done this. You could have done that. And you're not going to have as much energy. You're not going to learn as well. Like at the beginning of the new year, step back and reassess yourself and go, is this what I really want to be doing in life? Is this... Where I, you know, and a lot of people are going through that right now because of the great resignation with, with the pandemic and a lot of people quitting their jobs, et cetera. I don't want to work at this crap job the rest of my life. Right. So take the new year, the first couple of weeks to reassess where you are, to reassess your friends, to say, maybe I don't need these particular friends in my life. Maybe they're not really my friends. Maybe I need to get rid of them. Maybe I need new friends. The same thing with a partner or relationship. It's a time to reassess where you are in your career, in your relationships, in your friendships, and to say, yeah, things are okay, I'm going to continue on, or maybe I need to make some changes.
1: Yes, I like that, especially because it almost feels sometimes that we had two years taken away from us, that this is a time where you kind of should sit down and, and just reevaluate your whole life since we don't have those years that we can take back anymore. Somebody told me that every day you wake up and you ask yourself, is this working for me? Whether it's your friendships, your job, your partner, whatever it is. And if every day, yeah, it's still working for me. I complain, but it's working for me. But if one day you wake up and you say, you know what, I'm in a dead-end job, it's not working for me. Or you know what, my partner makes me so miserable. Or my friends don't make me feel good about myself ever. Then then it's not working for you, then okay. Remove that from your life, I agree.
0: Yeah, take control. Don't feel like you're 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 just this passive person in life that you have no control over your life. You can tomorrow, you can quit your job and you can start going towards another career if you want to. It's your choice.
1: I think part of knowing who you are is also it's a good advice to don't take more than you can handle. Don't buy more than you can chew. And I think when you're self-aware and you know who you are, you know that maybe you're not capable of taking three jobs. You're gonna fail all three or you know that you probably are not a good leader. But if you're self-aware, then you won't have the whole business fail because then you know better and you know to appoint someone else and right. remove your ego. Right. So that's why I love about the whole saying of know who you are. Yeah. Which is somewhere in the 48 Laws of Power, yeah. number 41.
0: Yeah.
1: Which I agree. Yeah.
0: Because
1: you can't live up because you think you can be like that one person. They kept talking. You can do everything they're doing. Right, right. If you're self-aware, you know that you couldn't. Right. That's what you do what you do and they do what they do.
0: That's right. <laughs> yeah, I figured out early on in life that I'm not good at anything really except writing.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: I can't fix things with my hands even though my father was really good with his hands. I'm a terrible dancer. I can't sing, you know, um, on and on and on. I'm only good at one thing and that's writing. So that's I better awesome. just stick to it and not try and do these other things in life. You know, I thought at one point maybe I'd be an actor or, you know, things like that, bad fits. And I realized you're only good at this one thing. Just lean on that and you'll be okay.
1: I agree. I, I like I like that. I, that's definitely a lesson that I've been learning when I keep trying different things. But you have to try different things because how else would you know?
0: Well, sometimes there are people who are good at several things in life, you know, so that's okay.
1: I'm not. Yeah, either, I'm not either. So... I'm on the same page. As someone who wrote all these books and who has lived many lives, such as yourselves, it is, is it easy for you to tell when someone else is not living for their true purpose or being their true self?
0: There are many different ways to look at that. So um, I'm very good. I don't mean to, I'm not bragging at all because I just told you I'm, ri- oh, hi, pancakes. I'm very bad at a lot of things, but I'm very good at picking up people's, um, you know, body language their kind of nonverbal self. And I can tell if someone's kind of faking it, I can sense their insecurities. I can see it in their eyes. I can hear it in their voice. I, I pick those signs up very quickly. A lot of people come to me, particularly after I wrote the book Mastery, wanting to figure out what they were good at in life, you know, because... And I, so when I said that about the new year, I mean it very much so because I feel like a lot of people suffer in this world most by choosing the wrong things for themselves that don't fit them, whether it's a relationship or most importantly, a career. When you're excited about where you're going in life, it just changes everything about you. You look a certain way, you act a certain way, you have energy, you have purpose, you get things done, you have energy, you're organized, you know, you're know. you motivated. And when you're not, you're kind of depressed you have low energy, you lose your confidence. And I can feel that in people, right? And so I meet sometimes people who come to me who are very successful, very powerful, but I can sense that they're not comfortable with it, that this isn't what they were meant to do, that they reached a point in their late 30s, where they're powerful and successful, but they're not happy, Mm -hmm. because it isn't actually a good fit for them. They're not continuing to learn, they're not challenging themselves. They chose something to make money and it's not really who they are. And so I, I mostly pick out that kind of sense of comfort by the level of energy that I feel in people and whether they get things done, whether they're excited and whether they're learning, you know, whether they have an open spirit. And that's kind of how I judge and assess people, whether they're, whether they're true to themselves or they're not.
1: Am I true to myself?
0: Very much so. I mean, I don't know you that... uh, Obviously, I don't know you at all. (laughs) Well, how about
1: currently? My energy and my body. Ah. Am I true to myself or am I lying? You said you can tell if someone's not being true to themselves or not being who they are or they're deceptive or actually evil or negative on the inside. So am I... I'm not
0: picking anything like that up from you at all. Um,
1: I've been training really well. (laughs) (laughs)
0: But mostly um, I come back to your videos because um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm obviously very attuned to how you are in the moment, but it's more importantly, I can judge through your work that you, you're very excited about it. And I mean, maybe you're burnt out now and I don't know because I, I haven't looked at the most late, the latest ones, mm-hmm. but the fact that you know you, you've got this gleam in your eye, you're very funny, you're excited, you're saying things, very creative with that shows to me that you're you're doing the right thing you know but I'll give you a full assessment of who you are at the end so we don't have that on camera
1: what would you say if we focus for a second on the 48 laws of power and then we'll focus on the other books what would you say your most important and useful lesson is from the 40 laws of power if you can remember
0: I've kind of covered it in the sense of of knowing who you are but the other thing that's important is to be um more outward going in other words to be less interested in yourself and more interested in other people that's sort of like what the art of seduction which is my second book right and so focusing on the kind of romantic relationships or interactions most often in those situations male or female we're thinking about ourselves particularly in the first Dates or the first few encounters. Does this person like me? Am I? Do I look right? Am I saying stupid things? Am I making a good impression? And what you want to do is, you want to be thinking the opposite. You want to be thinking about them. You want to be listening. You want to be picking up all the signals that you are sitting right now in front of me. That this is at all a seduction. Scenario. I love that you have to, but
1: not that I think.
0: Yeah, okay. <laughs> I got you. But if it were, you know, if I pay attention to you, I'm not thinking about myself. I'm not thinking, does Violet think about me? What is going on in her mind? And I ask certain questions without being too probing. Say, you know, like about your childhood and about growing up in Russia and about maybe some of your early, some of your other relationships about pancakes, et cetera. I get a sense of something about you and your spirit. It takes me out of myself. It makes me go inside your world. And in the process, you are going to start falling under my spell. I'm not saying that's happening, or it's going to... But
1: no, that makes sense.
0: Because most people are so self-absorbed that when, when you meet somebody who's not, who's like paying real attention to you as an individual, like really trying to see, figure out what you like, what you love, and, and, and what happens is, The next day, I see you again, and I repeat things that you said. Oh, he was listening to me, he heard what I was saying. And then two weeks later, it's your birthday, and I give you a gift that shows that I understood something that is about you, who you are as an individual. The most important lesson is to be more focused on people and less on yourself.
1: When you're interacting with them.
0: Yeah, because we're social animals, and if you wanna be able to get people to like your ideas to fund your 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 podcast or your film or whatever if you want, some influence over your children, et cetera. You have to be like more in tune with their world, with their with what's going on in their lives. You have to have some empathy, right? And not be so self absorbed. So the ability to be focused on other people means that you're confident, you're secure.
1: I don't want to say it's a manipulation tactic, but Part of the reason i got my accounting job was because all i did was ask questions about everyone else the people interviewing me so it's because a lot of times we love talking about ourselves so much yeah. that's why it works out because you're going to leave it you're going to leave the conversation thinking wow you know what that was a really good interview they left saying wow that was a really good interview you know she just knows what she was talking about i didn't talk the whole time and right. you know what happened? They opened a position for me because uh-huh. I actually hired someone else that day for my wow. position that I interviewed, but they opened me that position because I seemed so knowledgeable about the three people interviewing me. You know what? What?
0: I should be interviewing you.
1: <laughs> no, <laughs> but I like I like everything you're saying. It makes sense. And a lot of the stuff is, it's crazy. If, if you really think about it, it's all simple things. And yet we forget that. The first thing people want to do when they interact with other people is to talk of themselves. I mean, Mm -hmm. even right now, I'm so proud of some of the things that I've done that I can't help it, but suddenly speak it, you know, Mm -hmm. even though I'm doing an interview with someone else and I catch myself and I know that's a flaw because that's the thing. We love talking. We love hearing the sound of our voice.
0: Right, right. (laughs) It's really bad. No, it's not bad. Nothing's really bad, but... You know, it's just, it becomes a habit, which is bad.
1: But I do think that you focus a lot about how most people go through life with a false purpose. And we just talked about it, so it does seem like you you have a large focus on staying true to yourself and staying true to your purpose and what you're looking for in life. The
0: way I put it in mastery is uh, you're born unique. So your DNA, has never existed in, in, in the billions of years of life on Earth, will never exist in the future. It's unique. It's one of a kind. Your experiences growing up as a young uh, woman in Russia, leaving early and coming to the United States with your parents, etc., no one in the world will ever have your experiences. You're unique. You're an individual. And to the degree that you stay true to that, and that when you're in your 20s and 30s, you're, you're still comfortable and you're still being yourself, and you' you're not afraid to be different. That's your source of power. is being weird is being unique is being who you are. right? So look at the most powerful people in the world, the ones we respect in sports or entertainment or in tech or in the, they're unique. they're one of a kind. They're, they have you know a personality that is not like anybody else. And so often, everybody, particularly in the era of social media. Your first thought is to try and be like other people, right? I saw this influencer. I saw that person. and I want to be more like him or her, right. right? The moment you're like other people, you're replaceable. And being replaceable is the worst position to be in. But if you're yourself, if you're unique, and I think you created that with your image, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: For better or for worse. <laughs> yes. um, that's, you know, that's what made people interested in you and attracted to you. There's nobody else quite like you Thank God. on Instagram as far as I know.
1: I agree. Yeah, I am true to myself.
0: Now, why do you call it almost adulting?
1: Because it's you're always, I think, you go through your whole life trying to almost adult. You're trying to adult. And I think growing up, A, I sometimes still feel like I'm not my age. And sometimes I still make mistakes. And then in general, even I think... People always like to blame their parents for their childhood not being right. And I I like to talk about how, you know, parents as well, they don't have a full on handbook and have to be your parent not to understand everything about you. And of course, parents are going to fuck up or sorry for swearing or mess up your childhood in some way, but they're doing their best. They're trying, they're doing their best adult. And now as an adult, I understand that being my parents used to be this age and they were had me as a child at this age already. So they had no idea what they were doing, right. so that's kind of where it comes from.:
0: Yeah. And you were probably a very difficult child, so they had their own. Huh?
1: i Actually was.: Oh.: I'm <laughs> Yeah, oh. I was a very wild
0: really? child.:
1: oh. Yes. Running around all the time, hiding, breaking. I used to break into uh, abandoned houses just to wow. see if I can find ghosts.: Whoa. I was just always on my own just doing stuff. Wow. I had a really unique imagination because I struggled to understand how to make friends, so I just kind of more focus on being in a fairy tale in my brain.
0: Wow. Were there animals for you? Did you have pets when you were growing up?
1: I had no pets growing up. Oh. I tried, but they always died.
0: Oh. Okay.
1: <laughs> so, no animals, but my sister and I used to play a lot of just games, and I grew up playing video games and things like that. I see, okay.